Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue in our series, An Upside Down Kingdom. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find our passage on page 810. And we continue to walk through, as we have for the last couple months, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be ending this week our first chapter, if you will, of Jesus' Sermon. Uh, We've broken his sermon into four uh, segments or sections uh, to look at. And over these last eight weeks, we've been looking at uh, the Beatitudes, kingdom attitudes that Jesus has called his followers uh, to have. And we'll be starting next week looking at some of the actions. Once we get our attitudes right and get that attitude adjustment, if you will, then there are some actions that should be byproducts of, of how we are to live. And we'll be starting that next week. But we come to the last uh, of these beatitudes, these kingdom attitudes uh, that we've been called to, 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 to live a little differently, to think, uh, in fact, not a little differently, a lot differently than the world tells us to, and to live and to think as, as Jesus did. And Jesus has been challenging us each and every week how our attitudes need to be different, whether we're in the company of believers and non-believers alike. Uh, whether these are just attitudes uh, is not good enough. These attitudes have to be actions that are lived out in the lives of each and every one of us. And we have learned that in pursuing these things, uh, that uh, we can find great blessing. Jesus has said over and over again, uh, blessed are those. Blessed are those who mourn and and uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. We can find blessing. And blessing isn't uh, in, per se, the things of this world. But it is found in the approval of God that when we do these things, God stamps a seal of approval on our lives. And we are told that uh, when we pursue these things, we'll experience His presence in our life in a growing uh, way each and every day. But we come to a passage this morning that, quite frankly, will, will turn us inside out. Because it is something that will cause us to be uncomfortable. It will cause us to look at our own lives and begin to ask some difficult questions. And in light of some of the distractions that are going on in uh, our world outside right now, I want you to really focus in on the words today. Because the words are incredibly important. As each of these have been, this one is one that we need to open our ears and hear Because in our Lord's sermon, he's going to teach us that when we live lives that look like Jesus, we may get the approval of God, but what we won't get is the approval of men. And how are we to respond when it seems like the world is against us? So let's stand as followers of Christ Jesus. Let's hear from his word this morning. As we read our text, again in the Pew Bible, page 809, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, and we'll go through verse 12. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up onto a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In our text this morning, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, 
and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father God, Lord, I pray that uh, you would speak through me this morning. Because, Lord, I know, as many of my hearers know in this room, that we have not experienced persecution. And so, Lord, I feel a bit ignorant this morning speaking about storms that I've never experienced. And yet, Lord, you say that this will be something that will be a part of the life of the Christian. And we have to start asking some tough questions this morning as to why it may not be a part of our lives. Lord, challenge us to know where we are failing. Encourage us to know where we are standing strong so that we may rejoice and be glad in the fact that you allow us to suffer for your name's sake because that's what you've called us to. So, Lord, I pray you again would speak through me. And that your words would be my words this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This last week we celebrated as a country the accomplishments and sacrifice of a group of men and women who are called our veterans. And we recognize that service and commitment of brave men and women by taking some time to remember what they have done and what they continue to do for our country and on our behalf. And our military does a great job at awarding and rewarding those by acknowledging and recognizing their work of valor and sacrifice. As I began to look at how the military goes about thanking and and acknowledging their sacrifice and work, I came upon a website that talks through all of the different medals that each of the armed forces have. And I wanted to know which one was the greatest. And there's a lot of great awards and rewards that are given. Some of our own veterans here have been recognized with some of these. But the highest one that's ever been given, and only a few hundred men and women have ever received this honor, was the uh, Medal of Honor. You can't get any more uh, rewarded than that within our armed forces. And I did some study and learned that uh, the president gets to award this in the name of Congress, a medal of honor of appropriate design to a person who, while being a member of our armed forces, has distinguished themselves conspicuously by gallantry and valor at the risk of their own life and doing what was above and beyond the call of duty. And so we award men and women because of their gallantry and valor. And behind that is the idea of recognizing someone who admits the most difficult of situations on the battlefield has shown himself or herself faithful and shown themselves committed to the call of duty no matter the cost. Brothers and sisters, our commanding officer Jesus this morning in his sermon wants to award us, his people, the Medal of Honor. But to be able to do that, we have to be ready to endure, no pun intended, some storms in our lives. We have to be willing to be where the fighting is at its fiercest. But as Christ followers, we are called not only to serve God in the good seasons when all is going well, but when it seems where the battle rages on, And we are to stay true to the mission of the gospel. Listen to me. 
even when the whole world is against us. Jesus is calling us to that mission. And whether or not we experience it, Jesus is calling us to be ready for it. When he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, our ears should prick up. And we should say, wait a minute, Jesus. Are you telling me that I could endure some hardships? Yep. Wait a minute, Jesus. Are you saying that I could endure some scorning and some verbal abuse? Yep. Wait a minute, Jesus, are you meaning that I can call it a blessing to give up my life for your name's sake and the name of the gospel? Yep. This is what Jesus is saying. And yet, it runs so countercultural to us here in America today. And I don't say that preaching that to you. I sit in the pew next to you knowing that what I am saying is something that you and I not only have not experienced in great measure, but we push it away any time it gets close in our lives. And yet, there's no greater or more relevant statement for every follower of Jesus Christ than blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. We should be listening. Many believe today more than ever in all of history that the church has been persecuted, is being persecuted today like no other time in human history. I don't know whether that's true or not, but we know that we don't have to go very far to look for illustrations of this than North Korea this last week. Some of you heard about it, others of you maybe didn't because it doesn't, that kind, those kinds of stories don't make it in the nightly news. But we were told dozens of Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, were paraded into a stadium in front of thousands of onlookers who were forced to be there. They were set before a firing squad. And their only crime? Owning a Bible. And they were put to death. Oh, how easy we've got it. How easy I've got it to be a preacher proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in a world where it sure does seem that our brothers and sisters have it a whole lot worse than we do. There are some today who are huddled not because of the elements that are outside, but they are huddled in a dark room, worshiping God in a hushed voice because they are scared to death that the next knock at the door will be the authorities to take people away. There's persecution going on. And blessed are those who are doing it for righteousness' sake. But what about us? What about us who sit here in America, where we enjoy great peace, great comfort in our pursuit and following God? What, what does this verse have to do with us? It has everything to do with us, because here's what we know. We know that uh, persecution is something that can happen overnight. We've seen it in history, that a singular event, one singular event in American life could change the way America looks at Christians. And next week, we may not have the blessing of being here and preaching for... Uh, um, preaching the name of Christ with freedom as one nation under God. But we recognize that a singular event could change that for us. And can I tell you something this morning? We wouldn't have a need for double services. We wouldn't have a parking lot issue because we've got it so easy and so comfortable that many of us would not be here if our lives depended on it. And I don't say that at looking down the proverbial nose, if you will, at you, I ask the question, would I be here? Persecution is real, 
and our response as followers of Jesus Christ, whether we're experiencing it or not, must be biblical. And so there are three things that I see as biblical with regards to persecution. I'm going to tell you them ahead of time because we're going to get to them in a little bit. And I don't want you to lose it. If you're going to listen to any sermon, this is an important one because this may save your life one day. And so here's what you need to know what the Bible says about persecution. Number one, it's a given with regards to vibrant Christianity. Number two, it's a gift that God gives the church. We'll talk about that because some of you are wondering, what are you saying? And number three, it's an opportunity for gladness. So that's my aim. That's where I'm going. But before we get there, we need to understand there's some general observations to this beatitude that make it so much different than any of the other ones that we have. Now notice, it's the last one. Many believe that Jesus holds this one to be the last one as a way of effect, that this is an important one. Jesus wants us to get this. He wants us to know how we are to be persecuted and the blessing that comes from it. Notice that persecution, like all the other ones, is not just true for a segment of Christians, but it's for all of us. Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the handful that that are really serious about it. He says, all my followers are going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. All of my followers are going to be poor in spirit. All of my followers are going to be persecuted. We need to recognize that. This isn't for somebody some far off place but it's for us as well. Notice this beatitude is the longest one, and I would say it's the hardest to embrace. There's a great paradox in embracing suffering in our lives. Notice it's the only beatitude that comes with a command. Jesus says, I want you to rejoice and be glad. Notice it comes with an explanation. He doesn't just give a one-liner. He gives some substance. We're going to look at three verses tonight, or tonight, this morning. It looks like tonight. And he's going to explain why we are blessed as a result. Notice, it's one that is repeated twice. Twice Jesus is going to say, blessed, as, as if those who are persecuted are doubly blessed for their suffering for the name of Christ. And notice, it is the only beatitude that Jesus goes from speaking of those to directly to us. He wants us to listen. He says, blessed are you when you are reviled, when you are falsely accused. Now to deal with all these aspects of persecution in one sermon, even for Timbadol, is impossible. So I'm not going to try to do it, but I want us to understand Jesus' words this morning and to apply them today, and I humbly do so. And so notice, first of all, we need to understand what the word persecute means. If we're going to understand that it's a given for the Christian, we need to understand what this word that he uses. And this word persecuted, or to persecute, comes in the Greek language, and it comes with a root idea to pursue after something. It means to chase something down. It spoke of hound dogs, if you will, that were chasing after their prey, going after it until they had it in in their clutches and in their teeth. It literally meant to go for the kill. A good translation for this word in general use in the Greek language literally was to harass. And so what Jesus is saying is blessed are those, happy are those who are harassed for righteousness. Now, when we understand the idea surrounding this word, we need to then understand that some of us this week have been persecuted. Okay, that means we've got to go, right? What does that mean? Oh, okay, he's going to stay, just build an ark. Okay? All right? We're going to keep going here. All right? I was told to hear for a siren and let people go then. We're going to keep going by the, 
by the grace of Jesus until we start seeing water, then we run for our lives. Okay? But blessed are those who are harassed. Now, here's the thing. Some of you have been harassed this week. It may be subtle. Maybe you're the guy that is in the office uh, building who finds themselves under the scrutiny of others because you're one of those Bible thumpers. You believe in, in all that Bible stuff. Maybe you find yourself not looking forward to Thanksgiving meal because the rest of your family hates the name of Jesus, can't stand that you go there, and they ask you all the time, what cult are you a part of again? And you've been persecuted in that way, all a bit subtly maybe in some ways. Maybe your life hasn't been threatened, but you find yourself being seen as an oddity, as troublesome. You see yourself as intolerant. You see your, they see you as being one who wants to cause trouble. Now, before we get there, we have to ask the question, why then am I experiencing persecution? And I want to speak very clearly this morning, and hear me out, that some of us think that we're experiencing persecution, and we're not experiencing persecution at all. And here's why. The reason why you may be experiencing persecution is not, write this down, it's not because of righteousness. It's, uh, this is all extra credit, by the way. We'll get to the outline. But it's not because of righteousness Write it down. I'm not being persecuted because of righteousness. I'm being persecuted because I'm rude. Some of you think that you're being persecuted for righteousness and you're being persecuted because you're a jerk. And I'm saying that in love. Okay? I I saw a news story. It drives me crazy. I hate this because they talk about it as, as a Christian family. A Christian family left uh, after eating at a local uh, restaurant in the story, not a local one here, but a local restaurant they were a part of, and they had come to know in the course of the uh, meal that their waitress had a different sexual orientation than what the biblical standard is. And on their receipt, they wrote down in a, with a big uh, pen, zero on the tip, with a note that said, we do not agree or appreciate the relationship that you're a part of. Therefore, you do not deserve a tip. That's not biblical. That's jerky. And we need to recognize that because our Savior and Lord never, listen to me, He never okayed that lifestyle, but He didn't say we needed to be jerks to Him either. And some of us need to be very careful that it's not for righteousness' sake that we're getting ourselves into trouble but it's because we're just not being very nice. And yes, God calls us to speak the truth in love. But that's not loving. It's not kind. Why else may we be experiencing trouble? We may be experiencing it because we are overzealous. Overzealous. Many of us need to be wise in the way we act towards outsiders. That idea there in the book of Ephesians of of being wise in the way that we act towards outsiders speaks of a strategy. That we understand the moment, we understand the context of the relationship, we understand that not every, listen to me, not every conversation we have has to be Romans Road or the four spiritual laws. And while that is good for us to be zealous in the way of the gospel, we need to be careful that not everything has to be a spiritual and calling people to a Savior and, their, and call them out in their sin. 
but that we need to pray. And, and Paul says, pray, pray that when we have the opportunity, see, he's looking, he's trying to figure out when the best opportunity is. When will God allow the opportunity for the gospel to be presented? That means that it's not presented all the time, but that we look for the right time. And then he says in the book of Colossians, will you pray not only for the opportunity, but that our conversation would be seasoned with salt. And so I want to be careful that in my zeal for the Lord, I do so in a way not to fake people out, not to sugarcoat things, but to do so in a way that might be appetizing to the person so they may hear it and receive it. And so we need to be careful we're not overzealous as well. Notice the final one is we need to be careful because the Bible doesn't say blessed are those who are persecuted for the causes that they have. Now, what I mean by that, and this is of great concern for us here in America, where our faith is so easily married to our politics, where the evangelical position is no longer purely the position of Jesus Christ, but a standing platform of a political action group. Now, please understand that your pastor is not saying that causes and conviction never are together. They are. There are times where we will stand on principle. We will stand on conviction. But be careful. Let me say this very clearly. Let not our persecution come because we're on the wrong side of the aisle on a particular law or candidate. But let our persecution come into our lives because we seek to do nothing more than to honor God and follow Jesus Christ. Persecution is going to come, but we need to make sure that what we're experiencing truly is persecution and not at the hand of what we are doing. Notice that this persecution is a given within vibrant Christianity. What I mean by that is that when we live out the Christian life, we are going to be persecuted. Notice how does this flesh itself out? Number one, it comes as a result of the life that we live. You see, what Jesus is telling us is, is, hey, uh, when you are poor in spirit, when you mourn, when you are meek, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, when you uh, are, are pure in heart, when you are a peacemaker, when you live out those things, guess what you're going to get? I, I wonder if Jesus, and just to be funny here for a moment, if Jesus was kind of pulling out the game show uh, thing. You know, what do we have for a person who lives out the Beatitudes? What do we got for them, Bob? And Jesus says, Persecution. That's what you get. You want to know what you get when you live out kingdom attitudes in your life? Jesus says you're going to be persecuted. Now, why in the world would we be persecuted for the way that we live? Because some of us are going to be asked to give up on our ethics this week at work, to fudge the numbers, to lie to uh, the person on the other side of the sales table, to rework things that make our boss, bosses make a little more money. And when we say, hey, I can't do that, I can't live that way, we're going to experience persecution. Some of you are going to find yourself sitting around a table, and you're going to be asked to engage in gossip and slander, and you're going to say, hey, I can't do that. I can't speak of that way uh, of another human being. And so people are going to say, hey, what's your problem? What, what, you think you're better than us? There's going to be persecution. Some of you young people are going to be asked to loosen your morals for the sake of popularity. And when you say, I would rather stand true with God and Christ than to stand with the popular kids' table at lunch, you are going to be persecuted. And so we need to recognize that the way that we live is going to bring on persecution. Notice, but Jesus gives another reason. And the other reason is the Lord that we love. Notice that Jesus says the reason why you're going to be persecuted, 
the reason why you're going to experience painful opposition is not on account of you, but account of Christ. Look there in the text, on account of me. That means that persecution comes. Now listen to me. Persecution is going to come when people see Christ in you and I. Here's the reason why. The world hates Christ. The world loves you. Did you know that? Jesus says that when we're a part of the world, the world loves itself. And so here's what happens. When we were dead in our trespasses and sin, the world loved us. We were in partnership because we were shaking our fist at God and saying, hey, we don't want you in our lives. We don't want you to tell us what to do. But here's the problem. While we were doing that with the world, God's grace appeared in our lives. And we became a traitor to the world. Because we stopped shaking our fist at God because Christ became real in our lives and he changed our hearts and we stopped shaking our fist at God and with open hands we began to worship that God that we shook our fist at and the world hates us for it. And the world says, hey, wait a minute, you changed. You're not playing by the same rules. You're starting to like this guy whom we hate. Our sworn enemy now is your Lord and Savior, and we begin to find out that the world doesn't like us like they used to. In fact, this is what Jesus said in John 15, 18 through 20. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it ever hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, it's because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Why? Because Christ is in you. He's the hope of glory. And so when they persecute you, understand this. It ain't about you. You're just the middleman. They're going after Jesus. They're wanting to get him. And you're just the guy in the way. So how do they do it? The Bible tells us three things. Jesus says that, how are they going to do this? How are the world, how's the world going to respond? It says they're going to revile you. Notice there are verbal attacks. The word revile means to chide, taunt, defame. It can be as simple as name calling or slanderous words thrown in your general direction. And some of you have experienced that this week. Some of you have been called a Jesus freak, a Bible thumper, a goody two-shoes, a self-righteous individual. You've been called all types of things. Those are the verbal attacks. That's where it begins. But notice Jesus goes on and he says in our text that you will, uh, they'll utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. And so then there are false accusations. And so you see that their verbal attacks will now be, we're going to say that you are doing certain things that you're not doing just to get you into trouble just to speak ill of you. This has been going on since the first century. Peter tells us that we need to live honorable lives that even when the Gentiles or the unbelievers accuse us of doing wrong, that they may glorify God on the day that he visits. What that means is we live such such exceptional lives that we're above reproach. That even when they want to badmouth us, they can't. And in doing so, they will give praise to God because of the life that you live. Now, these false accusations have been going on in the church for some time. Did you know that the early church was falsely accused of being cannibals? Because they would gather together and people say, what do you do? Well, we come around the table and we partake of the Lord's Supper. Where we take of the body and blood of Jesus. 
And people said, hey, you're a bunch of cannibals. They were said that they were incestuous because they would call one another brothers and sisters and then they would marry each other. Not physical brothers and sisters, but spiritual ones, a part of the family of God. And the outsiders would say, hey, don't get involved with that group. They practice incest. They're they're a bunch of weirdos. Don't, Don't go around there. You wouldn't imagine the things that they do. And they were untrue. They were called insurrectionists. These peaceable, peacemaking people were insurrectionists because they would not do one thing, and that is call Caesar Lord. And they were falsely accused over and over again. If this doesn't work, the world will throw one more thing, and that is physical abuse their way. When these two are exhausted, the hating world will turn to violence. It was not good enough for that dictator in North Korea to make fun of Christians or to denounce their pursuit of studying the Scriptures. No, it wasn't good enough finally, so he just kills them. In the early church, all of the disciples except for John would be put to death for the gospel. And all of them, listen to me, all of them, including John, would experience great amounts of physical abuse for the name of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite Christians of all time is an early church father named Polycarp. At 86 years of age, he was brought into a great coliseum where many people came to watch the great man of God, Polycarp, renounce Jesus' name. At 86 years of age, he was being tied to a stake, ready to be burned alive. And the men that were tying him pleaded, Old man Polycarp, renounce this Jesus so that you can live. Do it. We don't want to kill you. You're an old man. You're pathetic looking. We don't want to do that. And Polycarp said, 86 years my Lord's been with me. He's never let me down, and I will never renounce his name. Oh, to be like Polycarp and the disciples who walked with Jesus. Let us not forget, brothers and sisters, this is not something that happened in days gone by, but today we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are worshiping this very Lord's day, not knowing whether the church building they are in will be attacked or bombed before they leave. We've got it good. The stories of Christendom are stories that would break our heart, but would inflame our hearts with greater fervor because we know that Christians were thrown to the lions, they were burned at the stakes, and those were the kindly deaths. We know that Nero would wrap Christians up in tar and set them ablaze and use them as living torches to guide the streets and his gardens. Other leaders would sow Christians into the skin of wild animals set them with hunting dogs to be teared from limb to limb. They would be tortured, they would be scraped, they would be broken, and their limbs would be broken, molten lead would be poured over them, their eyes would be torn out, parts of their bodies would be cut off, they would be roasted before their very eyes, their hands and feet were burned, all the while pouring cold water on it to lengthen the agony. And yet, brothers and sisters, while these things are unpleasant for us to think about, these are the things that will happen to men and women when we stand for Christ. And the world hates us. So, this was the lot for the early church. And so many today in different places throughout the world... And we ask the question, why does God allow it? 
Why does he allow it? Why why isn't God protecting his own? Why isn't he changing this? Why do we have to suffer when we're on the right side of the equation? Here's the reason why, and it's an important paradox for us to understand. Persecution, listen to me, is a gift that God gives the church. It's a gift God gives to the church. How puzzling. How in the world can we say that this terrible tragedy that befalls believers is a good thing. Well, it's it's inherent. Notice when he says rejoice and be glad. We don't rejoice unless something is good. And Jesus says, I want you, Village Bible Church, to rejoice when persecution comes. Well, how can we? It's a bad thing. No, Jesus says it's not a bad thing. It's a very, very good thing. How can we rejoice and be glad when we're unjustly scorned and insulted and harmed? All of these are valid questions, and what the American church says is, well, when trouble comes, we'll just grin and bear it. No, it's more than grinning and bearing it. It is seeing that what God is doing by allowing persecution in our life comes from a robust understanding. Listen to me, it would do us some real good to hear this this morning, that God is more concerned about yours and my Christ-likeness than he is about our comforts. Do you know that? God isn't all so concerned about our comfort. Yes, he's concerned, but not to the level he's concerned about our Christ-likeness. And if persecution can draw us closer to Christ, then God says it's a good thing, and we should say the same thing. Now notice, why is it a good thing? Why should we see it as a gift? Because it connects us as partners with Christ. It connects us as partners with Christ. Let me tell you, one minute of persecution will do more to tell a watching world about your walk with Jesus than all the time you've spent in this sanctuary without any fear of trouble. Because when we stand, while our world is caving in and stand true to Christ, the world says, hey, wait a minute. This thing is real. This thing is serious. They are really telling the truth when they see Jesus is their all in all. That they're willing to give up everything for the cause of Christ. It doesn't cost us anything to be here right now. It's easy. I've long wondered that there will be a day that will come in America where I will be paraded out of here for preaching the gospel. And I long ask the question, will I be faithful in those days? So let me tell you something. I'm not judging you. I'm asking the question, would I be here if it meant that my company wouldn't get accounts because I'm a preacher of Jesus Christ? That I wouldn't get a loan from the bank because I am one who adheres to the way? That I would lose family and friends? That I couldn't walk in in my neighborhood without being unjustly accused of something because I am known as a preacher of Jesus Christ? And here's the thing. When those times come, we can consider them all joy because we stand arm in arm with the suffering Christ. And when we stand arm in arm, Jesus says that in that moment he is with us. You don't believe me? Just ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three Hebrew boys who were told from a young age that they were not to bow down to anybody but God himself. And he got a stupid king that says, I'm going to build a a statue and I want everybody at the sound of the trumpet to bow. And they said, we can't do it. We won't do it. And they knew, hey, we're going to pay the piper. And they weren't told, hey, look out, you know, God's going to be there. He'll figure out a way. No, they said, you know what? We'd rather go to the fire than do something that, that angers God. And so they go into the fire. 
And we know the story. There's not three in the fire, but there's four in the pre-incarnate. Jesus is there. You see, when we are persecuted for righteousness, Jesus comes and he puts his arm with us and he says, I'm with you. And I'm going to stand with you. And some of us are not experiencing the presence of God like that in our lives because we are unwilling to stand before God. God says, hey, if you're ashamed of me and my father, then when it is time for us to be for you, we will back up and be ashamed of you. And some of us right now are not taking the step of faith to be bold in the cause of Christ in your work or in your families. And you're wondering why God's taking a back step away from you. You made the first move. It wasn't God. No matter the cost, we need to stand for Christ. Notice it cultivates purity. It cultivates purity. The Bible tells us, and we don't have time to look at all of this, but 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 9, says that what takes place when we suffer is that God uses that as a refining process in the believer's life. And what I've come to learn is that the people that I look up to most spiritually are people who have suffered for the name of Christ. Because there is something that happens in that factory, or if you will, that welding time, where God begins to burn off all of the junk in our lives. And how does he do it? By using suffering. By using persecution. And I will tell you something. When persecution does, and it will at some point, we have had too, it too good for too long. At some point, the American church will experience persecution. And I will tell you something. Here is my prophecy of it. I may not be right, but I'm going to believe this. There won't be a mega church anymore. Okay? We won't need all the buildings that we have. And I don't even want to point to other mega churches. I'd say, we won't need the space we've got here. We won't need, like I said, two services. We won't need million-dollar budgets. You want to know why? Because we will be doing uh, a whole lot less ministry because there will be a whole lot less people around. And the reason why is because it will become too costly for people and people will turn and run to hold on to their earthly lives than to pursue the spiritual one. And you know what will happen? We may be a whole lot smaller. We may be a whole lot leaner but we'll be a whole lot purer. And I say that because this is when we make right with God. This is when we do it because if we wait for that moment and we're not building into our lives and cultivating purity and the suffering that God gives us now, we'll never be ready when the chips really do fall. It cultivates purity. Finally, it captures the picture of true Christianity. You want to know what the true life of a Christian looks like? It is not what we're living here in America. But it is a life that pursues God. Not only in the good times, but in the bad. Here's what I mean by that. The world agrees with us that we can rejoice and be glad when good things happen. The world does it. We do it. But what what the world will stop and take a look at is when our world falls apart and the world is against us and we still claim the name of Jesus. Like Job, who was persecuted by the devil himself, he could say the Lord gives and takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. We sang that this morning. And so it captures true Christianity. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was well aware of suffering, said this, suffering persecution is the badge of true discipleship. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ, and it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it should be a great joy 
and a supreme token of God's grace. Do you see suffering that way? Paul told a young Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will face what? Persecution. See, this morning, we are seeing that persecution is not something that, does, that catches God off guard, nor does it create chaos or trouble for him, but that God uses it for his glory and for our good. That's why we can rejoice. That's why we can be glad in it. And notice it is an opportunity for great gladness. Write that down. It's an opportunity for great gladness. Now, how in the world can it be? Because Jesus says so. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, notice, we usually rejoice when there's good news. Persecution is good news. The phrase, be glad, is a command, and it means, listen to me, folks, it means to leap forth with exuberant gladness, to jump with exceeding excitement. Luke writes it down this way when he hears this beatitude, rejoice in the day and leap for joy. Jesus is not implying that we be happy because of persecution itself, but we are to leap for joy for what it represents. And what does it represent? We will see what persecution is all about when we do three things. Number one, when we remember the saints who endured. It says they persecuted the prophets. When Stephen, the deacon, was losing his life to persecution, he was reminded that he wasn't the first one to fall to this. He says, you've done it. From Abel to Zechariah, you killed all the prophets. Man, you pursued them, you chased after them. They found themselves running for their lives, and I am just another one of them. And let me tell you something, it is a good company to be a part of. And so I gladly look to heaven and see heaven open up, Stephen would say, and I can forgive those who persecute me because I'm a part of a prestigious group. You see, when we are persecuted in our workplaces, in our schools, if we go to foreign places and are persecuted for our faith, we join a prestigious club of people who said what Martin Luther did in his great song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still, for his kingdom is forever. Talk about a partnership. We have a great cloud of witnesses who are watching us and who are cheering us on. And they're cheering us on by the life that they live saying, follow in our footsteps. We were cut in half. We didn't have a home. We ran for our lives, Hebrews 11 tells us, and we did it. And what we came to know is we didn't even experience the promise of what was to come, but it was worth it. And so we look to those who endured Number two, we see joy in persecution is found in the sacrifice of Christ. This is very important. Here's the thing. Our Salvation Village Bible Church, our Salvation Christian, was given to us through the greatest form of persecution known to man, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ by evil men. And Jesus shows us that the great benefits that come to the one who stands firm amidst the harshest and fiercest persecution and all the while, while being reviled, does not revile in return, tells us this. The greatest blessing that you and I have this morning is to be called a child of God. 
we rejoice and are glad in our salvation, fully recognizing, hear me, that to receive that salvation, the Son of God had to be persecuted. And so if one man, Jesus, who was persecuted for our sake, gives us the blessing of eternal life in Christ, what might our sacrifice in being persecuted do for the kingdom of God this week in our office place? What joy may come in the life of someone else because we're willing to lose a little clout in our workplaces to show ourselves a follower of Jesus Christ or in our family or in our school. Who might come into the kingdom as a result of us experiencing persecution as Jesus did? And finally, notice that we can rejoice because of the supremacy of the reward. The ultimate source of the believer's rejoicing is our ultimate reward. Notice Jesus says that this reward, notice, he says the reward is great in heaven. The idea there is immeasurably great. You see, God does not permit what has been done for his glory to go unrewarded. And that's why Paul said in in 2 Corinthians 4.17 that these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And that's why Paul says, I fight the good fight. I finish the race. I'm going to keep the faith because at the end of that, no matter what persecution we face, we have in store for us a crown of righteousness. And so you say, okay. At the end of it, I'm going to receive a medal of honor. Yep. And then I have to ask the question, if that reward is so great and so awesome, then what is it to have unkind words said about us? How really difficult is it for a time in our earthly lives to experience accusations that are false? How bad could it really be for us to experience painful and even deadly blows to our body? Listen to me. What the saints and what Jesus are telling us right now, that though they humbled themselves and became obedient to death for the gospel's sake, Those people are crying out to us and saying, it was worth it. We'll take it. Think about it. How bad can our persecution be? How bad will it be when we experience the first 30 seconds of eternity in the glory and majesty of Christ himself? How about the first half hour? Let alone the first millennia. Brothers and sisters, whatever God brings our way will be worth it when we taste eternity for the first nanosecond of our eternal lives. It will be worth it. And so whatever befalls us, Christ tells us that we are to endure with the joy set before us. That's so messed up in our American thinking. If anything is flipped upside down, it's our thinking today where Jesus says it is a joy to be obedient to death, even death on a cross. The disciples got it. The early church fathers got it. Christians every century in the time that we've lived in human history have experienced it. And brothers and sisters, let it be true of us that when we experience, we will be equal to the task because of Christ and his spirit's work in our life. So, while we are not being persecuted, while we have all the freedoms that we do, I would say let's use those freedoms. Let's use those opportunities to share the gospel, to show the light of Christ, to do what we're going to learn next week, and that is to be the salt and light in the world. Because there will be a day that will come 
that many of us will walk away in fear instead of living by faith. And so let's use every day that we have, whether in cozy seats here in the church or under fierce persecution, that we will do so honoring Christ with all that we say and do. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, there have been a lot of distractions this morning. You know my own mind and heart have been distracted by things that are going on, so I pray, Lord, that we have been attentive to hear your word this morning. And Lord, that we would do some business with you this morning and ask the question, Lord, am I willing to lose so that I may gain you in return? Lord, am I willing to lose some accounts? Am I willing to lose some friends? Am I willing to lose uh, uh, some standing in my community by standing true and strong in your name? Lord, I'm thankful for our missionaries and our our, our partners in ministry who go to foreign lands where it isn't as easy. And I'm glad of the example of living faithfully. And Lord, that we would see the blessing in their lives. Lord, I'm thankful for the stories in the scripture that remind us that being blessed sometimes means being harassed. And Lord, I pray that we would resonate with their voices and their lives to live differently as we go into another work week this week, as we go into a school that may be hell-bent on on thwarting the, the cause of Christ. Lord, that we may be involved with people who may not want to hear the gospel. Lord, give us wisdom as to how to do that. Give us wisdom on how to be light and salt in this world. Lord, so that your name will be glorified, that your name will be honored. Lord, we need your spirit, so fill us with your spirit this week in a way that will move us out of our comfort zone to proclaim your name no matter the cost. Lord, we want to do so because we want that blessing. We want that approval of you. We want to experiencing you each and every day. So fill us by your spirit. Lord, empower us where we are weak. Our spirit's willing. But Lord, we know the flesh is weak. So Lord, lead us and guide us. Draw us closer to you. Make us sensitive to the opportunities you lay before us. And Lord, when the time is right, no matter the reprisal that may come, let us stand as a bright light proclaiming the gospel of your son Jesus who came to take away our sins and to give us life eternal. Oh, you are so worth it, Jesus. And we are forever thankful for what you have done facing persecution so that we might have life. Let us now face persecution so that others may experience life as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.